Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach from the topic today entitled, Good Works in the Life of a Believer. Good works in the life of a believer. Please notice I did not say good works that justify us or good works that, that bring us salvation, but I'm talking after salvation, good works in the life of a believer. Um, here at Epiphany Fellowship, we believe in showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life. And so showing off, we have to, to, it, in order to, we have to really think about this, like showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life. What does that actually mean? right? Like looking at ourselves, showing off, right? Showing people so that people can see, see what? See our good works. And that is what brings God glory. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says, um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father. And so that is what we will be talking about today. Um, Please understand there is nothing good about our works unless, it's our, unless our motives are to show off God's glory. Nothing good about our works, right? It has to be pointed on the one that is good in order for it to be considered a good work. So in, in these passages that we read today, um, these are Paul's, what I would like to call, instructions on good works, okay? Now, in different parts of the scripture, you'll see um, pictures of good works, Right, you'll see pictures of Paul. Uh, Paul talks about it in other epistles, and you'll see James talk about it, and you'll see uh, Jesus even talk about good works, good works. But these are all pictures. Paul is not laying out a picture here; he's laying out instructions. There is a difference in a picture and instructions. There's differences between them. Let me let me give you an example of that. So a few years ago, my wife and I moved into our first home. All right, and so when we moved in, we had zero. We had nothing, right? We had no furniture at all. And so we walked in, we sat down, we said we have to be very, very, very strategic about what we're going to furnish because we cannot financially afford furnishing the entire house at one shot. So we sat down and we said, okay, we only will furnish necessities. We will only do what we absolutely need. So we said, okay, beds. We need beds, right? We said um, a, a dining room table. We have to sit down as a family and eat somewhere. So um, there was one more necessity. We were done there. I mean, well, at least my wife was. I wasn't done. I had one more thing as a man that I absolutely needed. I needed a grill. <laughs> it's in this, y'all acting like, I, I wanted a grill more than I wanted the bed. So I needed a grill. Like this was, this was, this for, I, as a man, I love to grill, right? I tried to, I went to my wife and I, tried to, because she handles the finances, so I tried to persuade her very lovingly. I'm like, honey, I got one more necessity that I need. I'm sure she was thinking, like, it better be a necessity. I was like, I need a grill. But she was gracious. She was like, all right, you know, I, I'll let you get a grill. So she gave me, you know, hit me off a little, little something, something to get me a little grill. <laughs> Wasn't a lot, but I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll make this thing stretch. So I, I went on my search for a grill. I went to Lowe's, Home Depot. Target, and I finally found the grill that I wanted in Walmart. And when I found the grill I wanted, the picture that was on the box was so enticing for me. The pi- I mean, it had a smoker on the side. It had the, it had the, the, the rack with the, you know, the warming rack. You put your buns on it and close it and toast it. So you're not eating a burger unless you're toasting them buns. I'm telling you. <laughs> and so, so I, I, I'm like, all right, I, I have to get this grill. Like, this picture is so enticing. So I buy the grill, get home, open up the box, and there is about a thousand pieces inside this box. 
Now, now let me lay my cards on the table real, real early here. I am not the handiest dude in the world. I'm not, like, I, I, can, I can fix doorknobs at home. I can tighten them. I don't know about fixing them. I can tighten a doorknob. Um, but that's about it. My wife, on the other hand, like, she is all about carpentry and building stuff and making stuff. Like, she, like she puts me to shame. Like, it's embarrassing how she builds stuff. I mean, she's built our dressers and beds and all this other stuff. Let me get to my point. So, so she, 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 I said to myself, I cannot let her build this grill, though, because it's my grill. So I'm going to build it. So I, I went out to build it. I, I put, laid all the pieces around me, and I did what every man, right, that's ignorant to building stuff did. I placed the box up in front of me, and I took the instructions, and I chucked them. <laughs> I did. I said, I'm going to build this grill, but I'm going to build it based off the picture that's on the box. And so I begin to build looking at the picture. Well, at least I think I'm building. And I'm trying to connect stuff, and I'm trying to match up bolts and screws. And, and I'm only doing this by looking at the picture. Well, an hour goes by, and I do not have anything built yet. So my wife comes so graciously, and she's like, honey, do you need help? Now, now my pride almost kicked in. I almost said no. But no, no, no. I'm like, you know what? Please, I, I do need help. So she sits down and she begins to build the grill. But she does something that I did not do. She took the instructions and the picture, right? She didn't just use the instructions, right? She took, she took the, the box and she placed it up nicely and she took her instructions and she did one of these numbers. So you're not reading if you're just flipping. You have to lick it and uh, boom. So she did one of those numbers. So I was like, she about to build this thing. So she builds the grill up and and she did it in about 45 minutes. But my I said all of that to say she built the grill because she looked at the picture and the instructions. And so that is what we'll do today as we're going to discuss good works in the life of a believer. We're not just going to look at pictures. We're going to read the instructions today. Is that all right? All right. Verse number, verse number 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives, uh, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord, of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is beautiful. That is good stuff right there. First point I have that I want to bring to you today is this. The return of Christ, and we talk, Pastor E talked about this a little bit, about when the Christ returns and how glorious that day will be. Paul is laying out here this point. When Christ returns, the return of Christ should encourage every believer to live and have good works now. The return of Christ, let me say that again. The return of Christ should encourage every believer to pursue good works now. So in this passage, Paul is laying out an eschatological view of the scriptures. Right? He's, he's, laying that, he's laying that view out right now. Now, understand something about this. Anytime the end times are talked about in the scripture, it's always to point us to be passionate about good works now. It, it's never to neglect life now, but it's to, be, to live good works so that Christ can be glorified now. That's what it's about. And that's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, he says, encourage each other with these words. What words was he talking about? Well, that's the passage where he's talking about the dead in Christ will rise first, and, and the rest of us will be caught up to meet him. So the, he's, he's saying, encourage each other with these words. It's amazing because I never have had an eschatological conversation with anybody, 
and it's been encouraging. Right? Like, think about it. Be, like, let's, let's just be honest. Like, it, it either leads to fear or confusion or, or skepticism. And, 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 and honestly, I, I, can, I can understand skepticism a little bit. Like, if we, if you take out faith, like, it takes faith to believe that a man is going to be cracking the sky and riding on a white horse with a tat on his thigh and, and a sword coming out of his mouth and fire in his eyes. I've never seen a sword come out of somebody's mouth, right? I've never seen fire in somebody's eye. Well, except that one time I brought my wife's car back on E, uh, and I used all her gas, and she had that, she had that fire going. That's the only time I've seen it. But it, it can be confusing, right? So it, it, does, it does take faith. But Paul is laying it out right here, that it should encourage us now, right now, while on earth for good works. There's two things I cannot wait to see when Christ returns. Two things I cannot wait to see. I can't wait to see the fact that he will be known by everybody. Right? Everybody will see him. Every eye will see our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Redeemer. Every eye will see him. The second thing I can't wait for is that there will be no more suffering. There'll be no more, that Revelation's 21, they will wipe away all their tears, right? There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. If those are the two things that I cannot wait to see, those things should drive how I live now, right? I should live life because I want him to be known, right? If I, if I can't wait for him to be known, I should live life now, right? Evangelizing so that people can see who he is. Or, or the second, or, or suffering. I should be so on the side of uh, against injustice and suffering, right? I, I should be passionate about that stuff now. And so that is, what, that is what Paul is laying out. But extremists will say the opposite, right? You ever seen the guys on the corner and they got, they got the sign that says, you know, the end times are coming or Jesus is returning. You ever notice like they have a long nasty beard because they don't shave, right? They got long hair because they don't care about life now. But the scriptures are saying absolutely opposite. The scriptures are saying Christ's return should encourage us to pursue those good works right now while we're here. And so what, what else does the scripture say? Verse 13 says, um, waiting for our blessed hope. Uh, not for, uh, let me do verse 12. Verse 12 says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled lives. Self-controlled lives. Pastor E talked about this a little bit last week um, in his message self-control, right? Being disciplined. That's all self-control is. Every single Christian will be challenged. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Every single Christian will be challenged at some point in life with self-control. And one of the things I notice about self-control is self-control, if, if, if you don't have discipline over one area of life, normally that lack of discipline spreads throughout the rest of, uh, rest of your life, right? There's different areas. There's never just one area. I mean, think about your own, your own self-discipline, your own self-control. Whenever you're lacking in one er area, you're normally lacking in a few areas. So a man that can't stop sleeping around is normally a man that, that can't has, doesn't have any discipline over his credit cards, paying his credit cards. Or, or, or a man that can't pay his credit cards normally doesn't have discipline in his prayer life because they, it, it kind of runs its way throughout our life. And so the, the next word says self-controlled and upright. I love this word because that word is interchangeable with the words just and righteous. 
That, that's what upright is. It's, it's living in this life just and righteous. Now, we have a very skewed view. Sometimes we can have a very skewed view of what righteousness is, right? Righteousness is not just private morality. That's not Righteousness is not me getting up at 6 a.m. and praying and, and going on a 100-day fast. That's, that's, righteousness is not that. I love what Bruce Wilkie says. Uh, he's, a, he's a famous Reformed biblical uh, scholar. He says, righteous people will disadvantage themselves to advantage others, while the wicked will disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Let me read that one more time. Righteous people will disadvantage themselves to advantage others, while the wicked will disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. An unrighteous person is, person is somebody that will see somebody in need, and they have the means to help, and they don't help. To see somebody poor, and you have financial stability, and you don't assist that person. That is an unrighteous person, according to the Scripture. That's why Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 27 says, Do not withhold good from those when you have the power to act. You have the power to act and you withhold. That is what we would consider, the scriptures would consider as unrighteous. And so we have a very skewed view, but that's what this scripture is saying. Live upright and righteous lives, right? Live a way that you are helping others. Let me keep going. Um, I'm going to skip to chapter three, verse number one. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Uh, I, I love this. I, I love this. This this thought. Um, let, let me let me back up. I'm sorry. Let me back up to verse 14. Verse 14 says, "Who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are um, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." That's what the scripture says. Who are zealous for good works? My second point is this: Christ's death not only ignites the ability to do good works, but it ignites a passion to do them as well. Right? I can be passionate. The scripture says zealous. I can be passionate about good works now. I tweeted a, a, a few weeks ago um, because after Pastor E preached from verses 1 through 5, I kind of set shop here and, and been here in my devotion time in these three chapters. Um, and so a, a couple of weeks ago I preached, uh, preached. I tweeted. Uh, I don't know. Some of you preach on, on Twitter. Um, but I tweeted uh, that Christian maturity is not just the avoidance of evil, but it is the pursuit of good. Right. Me, me maturing is not me just saying I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. But it's me saying looking at stuff that is what you would consider good works and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. His death produces in every single believer a zeal. A zeal. And, and nor, this zeal is not a new zeal. Normally, it's the zeal that you had that was pointed on the wrong thing. And he now turns that zeal and points it on himself. And that's what makes it good. That's what makes it good is that it's pointed on the one that is good. And so that, that's why Paul says, um, that's why Paul says in Galatians 1 that I was zealous to, to, uh, to continue the traditions of my father. Or he says in Philippians chapter 3 that I, was, uh, that I was zealous in persecuting the church. All Christ did was saved him, took that zeal that was already there and pointed it on himself. That's what makes it good works, is, is, is that he takes that zeal. Why, why, though? Here's the question, why? Knowing that Christ has accepted and forgiven me, that should fuel every single one of us to accept and love others. 
right? I mean, think about it. You got to make it personal. Like, look at it. Look at your own self. Like, he loved me and my filth and nastiness and my dysfunction. And yet through my dysfunction, through my dysfunction, he still saved me. That's why the scripture says in Romans, right, that he, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't wait for us to, to become the new you. He saved you when you were in your nasty mess. And yet that should drive how we live life, right? We should be able to forgive others for doing us wrong because we did him the wrongest, right? That's the word, the wrongest. We did him wrong. And so we should be able to forgive others for that. We should be patient with others in their dysfunction because Christ is patient, not just was, but is still patient with us because we all still fall. And he's still so loving and he's still so patient with us. That scripture says um, in, uh, in verse number 14, it says, zealous for good works. I love this. The word works here is actually the same word that's used in Revelation chapter 3, where uh, we see the letters to the seven churches. And so to the church at Laodicea, he says, I know your works, for you're neither hot nor cold. Or, or, or the church at Sardis, when he said, I know your works, for you have a reputation for being alive, but you're really dead. And then he says, wake up and strengthen that which remains and is ready to die. He says, because your works, I have not found your works complete in my sight. That's what, that's what Revelation 3, that's what he said to the church of Sardis. Why was their works not complete in his sight? Because they were pointing their good works to themselves. They were concerned, that's what the scripture says, they were concerned about their own reputation. So they were pointing that, the good works to themselves. And, and really, this is what happened in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. I don't want to get off track here, but this is the same thing that happened where where Jesus said that they'll come, many will come to me on that day. On that day, what day is that? Judgment day. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And what was the Lord's response? Depart from me, for I don't know you. And what did he call them? Workers of lawlessness. Anytime we try to point our good works to ourselves, we are what the scriptures would call workers of lawlessness. I love what the King James says. King James Version says, workers of iniquity. Or NIV says, evildoers. That's crazy to me because in that verse in Matthew 7, verse 22, like think about what they're doing. They're casting out demons. They're prophesying. And they're doing mighty works in his name. And he called them evildoers because they pointed it to themselves. Now, they're they, they not, they not smoking weed. They're not, they not committing adultery. They're not robbing people. They are doing what is seemingly good works, right? It seemingly is good works, but they were pointing it to themselves. In any attempt to point your good works to you, and you are what the scriptures call law, a lawless worker, right? Worker of iniquity. So we must be so careful that our works are always pointing to God's glory. That's what that Matthew 5, 7, uh, 16 says, right? Our good works so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father. Like so, so many of us need to repent for, for how we've done our motives for how we've done our works. Our motives for how we've done our works. Most of us, many of us need to repent um, of that today. 
Let me get to chapter three now. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority. I love that. Submissive to rulers and authority. This is the, the same thought um, where, where, where the scripture says to, uh, that a, husband, a, wi- a wife should submit to her husband. Right? It's the, it's the same thought right? As a, as a slave submitting to his master. It's the same, same thought. I love that thought. So to be obedient and ready for every good work, to speak no evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. This brings me to my, my, my last point. My last point is this. Good works are for public display, not just private rituals. Because in this passage, Paul is laying out submissive to, to rulers and authority. This is a very public, right, a very public submission. So our good works in public should be seen, right? That's what, that's what Paul is saying. I do not have time to, to deal with all of our public life, although I think sometimes as, as believers, we can, can sector off, right? We can kind of pull off different pieces of our life. So this part of my life is my faith, right? And then this part of my life is my work life. And then this part of my life is my social life. Well, well, that's not, Christ must be preeminent in every single area. Colossians 1, every area he must invade. The, the very crimices of our lives, he must be in control of every single area. The one area I want to talk about with you guys today, I want, the one public area I want to talk about, is our life as it relates to our job. Our life as it relates to work. Now, uh, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, how does the gospel, right, how does the gospel impact how I live at work? How does the gospel impact how I live, right, on my job, in my career? Am I, am I shady in business? Like, these are questions we must ask ourselves. Is my work, this is the second question, is my work helping others to flourish? Am I helping others to flourish? See, many of us take jobs for the wrong reasons. And the most, the two predominant reasons we take jobs is because it's financially beneficial or because it's emotionally healthy for me. Now, these aren't necessarily bad, but if, as believers, if that's what's driving why we take jobs and make, you know, different job careers and switch careers, if that's what's driving why we take jobs, it's, it's, it's not a very biblical one because it's really self-centered. I want to take a job because it makes me feel good. I want to take a job because financially it's good for me. That cannot be why we take jobs. In order to understand working in, in, as far as a career and in order to understand how our good works impact uh, how we choose jobs, we have to look at the first job that was ever mentioned in Scripture. What is the first job that was ever mentioned in Scripture? Gardening. God was the first employer and Adam was the first employee. So we must look at this. If the Scripture talks about it, we must look, that, look at it. So gardening. Understand something about gardening or a gardener. A gardener is not the same as a property developer. A property developer lays pavement over the garden, right, makes sidewalks or, or build, puts a foundation down to, to build a house. That's what a property developer does. So a property developer is different than a gardener or, or a park ranger is different than a gardener. A park ranger goes into a park and, and, and has um, authority to make sure that the park stays nice and clean and safe. That's what a park ranger does. That is not the same as a gardener. A gardener 
digs into the ground, right, and rearranges the raw materials of the earth, the soil, digs into the ground to give humans, catch this, to give humans what we need. What do we need? We need food. So they dig in the ground and rearrange material to help humans to flourish physically. Or we need, um, we, we, we need to be emotionally stimulated. So he'll dig in the ground and plant flowers. And, and, and the University of, um, of Rutgers, Rutgers University in, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, did a whole study on how flowers help the emotional state of humanity. How if we plant, you know, put different flowers in our house, it, it helps us to deal with depression and stuff like that. Like I, I, I don't 100% agree, but you know, this is what the, this is what it says. It helps us emotionally. So gardening helps the human beings physically and emotionally. Every job we choose, every job we choose to work on, we need to take the same principles of gardening and apply it to that job. Every every job, I mean. Mu music, musicians. Rob, back me up on this one. Um, a musician, you're the only one, you close, sorry. The, a musician takes the raw material of sound, rearranges it, and gives us something that we need that helps us emotionally, helps us spiritually, right? Hey, it even helps us physically. If, if you if you rocking on a, you know, with the, with the, with the Dre beats on and you're on a, you know, the treadmill, it helps us physically too. Or, or aerobics, all that stuff. Um, that, that's so it can help, like you can apply this principle of gardening to every area, to every job. Or even an ar architect. You know, I don't know if anybody's an architect in here. You, you take the raw materials of metal and, and, and cement and you build stuff that humans need. What do we need? We need roads. We need bridges. This is how we have to think about our job careers. How am I helping others? Or let, let's take an author, you know, somebody who writes books. And, and shameless plug, I don't know if y'all got past the ease, uh, manhood restored, but y'all need to get that. Y'all need to get that. So he takes the, the raw material, this is what an author does, take the raw material of stories and human experiences, rearranges it and gives us stuff that we need that helps us Right? And so that is how we have to choose jobs. That is how we have to pick our jobs. We must show the glory of Christ in every area of our life. And the only way that even our jobs, we must do that even at work. See, we want to be super deep and spiritual at work. We want to have on our cube all, you know, all scriptures around. You can't even see your cube walls because you got scriptures everywhere. You know, we got on our What Would Jesus Do t-shirts and our 100% virgin olive anointing oil sitting on the desk. Like, that stuff is a distraction. Like, that, that's not, that's not going to help you, right? In, other, in some senses, that can be a hindrance to the gospel, right? You want to know how you imp impact people on your job? You impact people on your job by showing up on time. This is, this is practical. Showing up on time, right? Doing a good job on your work. Doing good quality work, right? That kind of stuff impacts people. That gives, you the, uh, that gives you room to, to discuss with them. Well, how, how are you able to do that? And then, boom, you can share it with them, right? You can share where your help com comes from. You know, the shady business deals. You know, shady business deals will hinder the gospel. It will. I mean, it's so practical, but it will. You going wrong, you being out for yourself in business deals will impact the gospel. It will impact your, your communication of the gospel. 
And so the, Paul is dealing with that in this verse, in these verses. He's talking about our lives and our good works in a public setting. You know, how, how does this impact people in a public setting? I love verse 14. We didn't read it today, but I, I just want to jump over to verse 14 in chapter 3. It says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Listen to this part. So as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We help people. That's what our good works are to do, to help people. And Christ, Jesus Christ, came and helped our most urgent, desperate need. We desperately needed a Savior. We desperately needed somebody to come and die in our place, take our filth upon himself and go to a cross, give us, impute to us his perfect, spotless righteousness. He helped in the case of an urgent need. He fulfilled this scripture, right? And so he was not unfruitful. And then he didn't just do it, but he did it with joy, right? We don't do this begrudgingly. We do good works with joy. The the scripture says in Hebrews 12 uh, that with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was joy that drove him to the cross. Our works must be driven by the same joy. Our works must be driven um, by a love for people. Because we know that we were loved by God. Are you willing, I want to ask this question, are you willing to disadvantage yourselves to advantage people? As I'm closing, are you willing to make yourself uncomfortable so that someone else can be comfortable? This is real stuff, and and, and oftentimes, especially in the reform world, we want to stay away from good works. We don't want to talk about good works. But God is concerned about good works. He talks about it over and over and over again in the scriptures. So if the scriptures is talking about good works, we must be living them out. Now, please understand something because I have to take this thought off the table. I have to. Good works will not save you. Will not. These works that you do will not save you on the day of Jesus Christ. I love Ephesians, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse number 10 where it says that we were saved for good works, not by good works. Scripture does not say we're saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. That's that's what we say for. And normally people that believe in this works-based salvation, they usually have this weighing scale system, right, where they're like, well, I'll do more good that will outweigh the bad. And so we do this you know, I'll do good, 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 and then I'll do bad, 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 or bad, 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 and then good, 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 and then I'll stand before the Father and he'll ignore the bad stuff because I did all the good stuff. But how unjust of a father and a judge would he be if he ignored our filth and our wickedness and our bad works? Any, this doesn't work. This, this thought doesn't work in any other system. It doesn't even work in our legal system. Like, think about this. The, 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 the young man, the 19-year-old young man that, that, um, that planted the bomb in Boston, right? How unjust of a judge would it be if he stood before the judge and said, okay, I, I admit, I, I did do that. I, I did do the murder. I did. I planted the bomb. But since I did that, I, I did the speed limit, and um, I helped the old lady across the street, and I didn't jaywalk. I paid my taxes, and I... And I claimed my, my, my kids, y'all know, because we want to claim 10 other kids that ain't ours. 
I claimed my kids, I didn't do no shady business there. Right? How unjust of a judge would this legal judge be if he sat there and said, you know what, you did all that good stuff, I'll ignore that you, blew, you, you planted the bomb in Boston. How unjust of a judge would that be? If that doesn't work in our legal system, why do we try to make that work when it comes to our salvation? It doesn't work. And, and if it worked, here's, here's the thing. We couldn't even obey one command in, in Genesis. In Genesis, he, God gave Adam one command. One, not 10, not 20. He gave him one command. Do not eat of this tree. The only command he said. We couldn't even obey that one. Right? Well, not even one. So why, why do we try? Why do we try? to make this thing work as though I'm going to stand before the holy and matchless God and give him my list of things I did. What? In fact, Isaiah 64 says that our, even our righteousness is as a filthy rag. That points to his holiness, how holy he is. That's what that points to, right? Here's the thing. In, when I do bad, it's offensive to God. But when I do good, he's so holy that it's still an offense to him. That is why we needed a righteousness that superseded our own. Christ came and completed the work, the good work. So he is our model of good works. He shows us what good works is. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you for this time of being able to talk about what good works are and how that plays a role in our, in, in our lives. Father, I, we, we repent today. We, we do, we repent of doing good works in order to show off. We repent of doing good works in order to floss, in order to show people, to point to our own reputation. Father, we ask that you would forgive us in here. Forgive the ill motives of our hearts, where we did things that weren't according to you. Father, I pray that when we walk out of here that we would do good works, but do them so that it brings your name so much glory, so that it brings your name honor. Father, may that be what drives our works. Father, I thank you for this time, and, 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 and I pray that everyone in here will walk out and pursue good works because that pursuit is made possible because of the cross. I am now able to do good because I'm pointing my good works to the one that is good. So I'm now able to do that stuff. And so, Father, we praise you and we give you the glory and we pray that you would be with us for the remainder of our service. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Grace and peace.